As always, thank you guys. It's always great to be led in worship by y'all. So I'm really thankful to be up here again speaking to y'all this week, especially because generally, um, generally I don't feel at the end of a week that I've done anything that might get me fired. Um, this week, I had two moments that after they happened, I felt like I might get a call from Dave tomorrow saying not to come back. The first one wasn't really that bad, but I think I made it out to be worse than it was in the time. On Wednesday, I looked at the stage afterward, and I was like, there's a lot of egg and stuff up here, and somebody fell on the drums. Oh, this is coming back to bite me somehow. But thankfully, Thursday morning, I still had a job here. Um, And then I was like, okay, so one thing's happened this week. Nothing else is going to happen. This week's going to go, the rest of this week's going to go great. And I decided, you know, I'm going to have some of the guys over for a game night, Friday night, and it'll be great. They'll just come over and hang out, and nothing bad will possibly happen. Thank you, Ryan. Well, I'm making, I'm in the kitchen, I'm making pizza rolls, we got music playing, There's, they're running, some of them are running around upstairs, some of them are in the living room, and all of a sudden I hear a tone. Well, the tone is the sound that my door makes when it opens, because there's a sensor. And I look, and my door's shut. I'm like, nobody just went outside. I'm, I'm, just, I'm going a little bit insane. I, I must, just, uh, must have just been hearing things. And a moment goes by, and I hear what sound like footsteps on metal. And I'm like, no, no, no. No, what's, what, what, what's happening right now can't possibly be happening. And then I see feet dangling from the edge of my roof. And without really even thinking, I just let out, cry, Ryan, what are you doing? And run up the stairs faster than I think I've ran in many years. And as I get upstairs, I see coming out of the bunk room, which leads to the windows that I believe that he has climbed out of at this moment, I see, if I remember correctly, was that you, Philip Kegel, and Austin? Walking out with this look of, we didn't do it, on their faces. And then, as I go into the bunk room, I see Ryan emerging from the window, coming back in, trying to cover his tracks. So, thank, thank you for not falling, because I did not want to have to call Dave and tell him that you were injured, but thankfully, it was you, because if you would have fallen, nobody would have blamed me, and I wasn't thinking about that in the moment. Now, if it was somebody like Andrew... I would have been terrified far more because if you get injured at my house, no one is going to think it was your fault. It is going to be negligence on my part. But because it was Ryan, everything was going to be okay, even though in the time I had a heart attack. So thank you for that, Ryan. (laughs) No. So today we're going to be finishing our series that we've been going through on questions and reasons. And I'm really excited to bring this series to a close. It's been a great series. I've really enjoyed getting to speak a couple times, hearing Dave, Dagan, and Megan give other messages on this series. And I'm really excited to bring it to a close today. So I'm going to start it out with a story, because I think this story helps encapsulate a lot of what I'm going to be sharing with y'all today. Um, I was 
couple weeks ago, I was scrolling through Reddit one evening as I was trying to fall asleep, and I follow a lot of subreddits that are uh, comedic in nature, have funny stuff on them, whatever. Well, one of them that is my, one of my personal favorites is called No Stupid Questions. So naturally, what people do is post the stupidest questions they can think of. And in general, I end up laughing for about 15, 20 minutes as I scroll through this, and it's usually a pretty good time. But as I think is somewhat of human nature, every once in a while, a more serious question sneaks, sneaks through. And this was one of those nights. As I'm scrolling through, I, I come across the post, and immediately, it really like made my heart sink. And it, it was from this woman, and she wrote in the heading for it, I'm a 27-year-old woman with no friends. Why? It's kind of just what she was asking. And I immediately, I just stopped, and I thought about how I know that even though she, this, this woman's writing this, and she's not alone, because I know that there's countless other people that feel very similarly. They feel isolated, alone, anxious. They feel this loss of connection, this loss of fellowship and community. And that's, that's not just true in this country, in this area. It's true everywhere of all people, no matter where you go. And then I, I clicked on the, uh, the post because I wanted to see what else there was. And I, one of the other reasons I knew immediately that plenty of other people felt the same way as this woman was that there was close to 500 comments already, and, there was, and it was only posted like two hours ago at the time. So there was this immediate huge response. And I clicked on it, and I, I read what she had to say, and she's like, uh, like I said, I'm a tw- she said, I'm a 27-year-old woman. I feel isolated, alone. I don't have any friends. I feel like I dress well. I feel like I look well. I take care of myself, but I, I feel like there's nobody in my life that actually cares about me. So... Why do I tell you this woman's story? Why do, I, why do I share that? Because I think that she was stumbling on a truth and the distortion of a truth that affects us all and is why a lot of us have felt feelings of isolation, anxiety, fear, depression, a feeling of disconnect at many times in our lives. And it's a truth that's, I think, before many other truths, far more foundational, I think it's a central part of who we are as people, and that's that we're made to connect. We're made to have relationships with other people. We're made to have friends and community and fellowship. But all too often, we don't. And I think we see this, this, the, we see this beginning when we look at God, when we look at the Trinity. We, we as Christians believe that God, we, we worship one God who's in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Paul calls it one of the great mysteries of how three can be one, but we believe that it is true. And what this means is that, there, that God has had an eternal relationship with himself. God wasn't just God the Father. No, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had had an eternal relationship with each other. And it makes sense that if God is relational, he would create relational beings. On the flip side, if God wasn't relational, then why would he create things that desire and need relationship, that need community, that need friendship? In the garden, that relationship was perfect. Not just with God, but yes, in the garden, man had an undamaged relationship with God. God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. 
But that wasn't all. Man also had an undamaged relationship with each other. Adam and Eve had an undamaged relationship with each other that wasn't marred by things that we kind of um, forget weren't the intention. Depression, anxiety, uh, isolation, envy. These things drive us apart. And all of this entered in the fall. We've read it plenty of times. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, they, they eat of the fruit, they sin. And the relationship between them and God is damaged. But it's not just that. It's the relationship between them and each other that is damaged as well. And it was damaged so badly that in the very next chapter, Cain kills Abel. In the span of one chapter, human relationship has deteriorated to the point of murder. But why did this spiral happen so quickly? I think that as we go through this, this talk today, you guys will see that it's because the, the, the desire at the heart of the fall, what Satan had tricked them into believing, distorts everything, especially our relationships with each other. Let's read Genesis uh, 3, 1 through 5. Again, many of you have read this probably countless times. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat, from the, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said you must not eat or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. In this passage, Satan is deceiving them, but, but how? When we look at it, I think it's by getting them to begin to center everything on themselves. You will be like God. God. God doesn't need to be God. You can be like God. You can be the center of your own world. Ultimately, he was getting them to be self-centered. To forget that it wasn't about them. It was about God and it was about loving others. They made it about themselves. And why, though, is this self-centeredness so destructive? Why does it cause so much damage? Again, I think it comes back to the Trinity. And so when we look at the Trinity, Jesus gives us a great picture whenever he's praying to the Father in John 16 and 17. In, in John 16 and 17, we can read throughout that the Father glorifies the Son, the Son glorifies the Father, the Spirit glorifies the Son, and that this has been going on for all eternity. Within the Trinity, all persons are eternally putting the others at the center. There is a selfless love at the center of the Trinity. And this whole idea of the Trinity is so important when we really begin to think about things like love and community. Because if God wasn't eternally relational, then he couldn't have love as one of his defining characteristics. Think about it, guys. Can you truly love in isolation? 
If you were thrown on a desert island somewhere by yourself, could you truly experience love? I would say no. God could have been all-powerful, holy, all-knowing, infinite, just about any other of his defining characteristics. But he couldn't have been love if he wasn't, in essence, relational. If God created the other, if, if the Father was God, but Jesus wasn't God, and the Spirit wasn't God, he couldn't be, in essence, relational. Relationship had to be at the foundation. Love requires that you are not at the center. 1 Corinthians 13 um, is where we're going to turn to next. Uh, this is often known as the great love passage in Scripture. Paul writes this beautiful uh, chapter in verses 4 and 6, 4 through 6 of 1 Corinthians 13, we read this. Love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking is not irritable, doesn't keep a record of wrongs, love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth. And continuing in verse 7, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love is not self-seeking, says in verse 5. The relational reality of the Trinity makes love possible because love is in nature about others. And this self-giving, selfless love is the relational model God used when making man. He didn't invent a different way of thinking about love and community and relationship because he had it already in a perfect form within the Trinity. And ultimately, because of the nature of love, you will never find true and deep relationships of any kind if you still center your life on you. If you're still the center of your own world, you're never going to be experience a true relationship of any kind. And this is hard. This is difficult. This isn't something we do well because we all desire to be at the center, even if we don't think about it like that. Think back a couple weeks ago whenever I spoke, I used the example of Jekyll and Hyde. Okay, Dr. Jekyll realized how evil he was, so he begins to serve and love others and begins to pour himself out in service of others. And for a while, he accomplishes a little bit of not being at the center of his own world. But as he sits on a park bench, looking around at everybody else, thinking about all the good that he's been doing, he begins to think, well, I'm better than you, and I'm better than that person over there, and I'm better than that guy over there. All these other people are just slacking off with how good I am. And in that moment, he's made everything back about himself again. He's slipped back into self-centeredness and has lost the love that he was beginning to show others. I really like what Tim Keller has to say about all of this. He writes that um, when talking about true relationships, taking sacrifice, um, he writes, unless you are willing to experience the loss of options and individual limitations that come from being in committed relationships, you will remain out of touch with your own nature. What he's writing about there when he says nature is this relational nature of man. And I think there's a tendency when we read a quote like this to think mistakenly only in terms of maybe romantic relationships. Because this is, that's not true. That distorts what it means to love others well. To love your friends well. All meaningful relationships take sacrifice. 
not just romantic ones. And that takes on different forms. It looks differently. But if you care for your friends, you will sacrifice for them. There's things you may give up. There's things you might not do. There's some things that you may do that you didn't necessarily want to because you love your friends. You love those that you're in community with. You're going to make those sacrifices. It's sort of what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 9, or 8, I'm sorry. He writes about how there's, there's, there's believers in Corinth that they feel that it's wrong to eat food sacrificed to idols. Okay, it's a, not an example we necessarily wrap our heads around easily, but because we don't sacrifice meat to idols. But he was writing to the church and saying, listen, some of you think this is sin to eat this meat, some of you don't. So listen, those of you that do think that it's sin, don't let the, 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 the brothers and sisters in Christ around you shouldn't put that as a stumbling block before you. Those of you that don't think that that's sin, don't eat it. Love your brother. Sacrifice what sacrifice this thing because you love your brothers and sisters. Be willing to make those sacrifices. And this is one, this whole idea of love and this true community is just one of many truths that we've exchanged for lies. Centering our life, life on self is something that we see at the heart of modern culture. What are a lot of the things that you guys, you hear, it's, well, follow your heart. Do what makes you happy. In more philosophical terms, things like hedonism, which are all about seeking pleasure for yourself, are things that our culture embraces so readily, but when you talk to people that truly live like that, many of them will tell you just how empty they feel, even though they're seeking after pleasure, doing all these things that they think will gratify themselves because they're missing what true love and joy and happiness comes from. And that's being others-centered. So this is such a key truth, and I think it's important to end a series like what we've been doing, because we've been talking about a lot of truths. We've been answering a lot of questions with truth and why we believe them, and we've been looking at some truths and giving the reasons for why we believe them. But the truth of how we're supposed to relate to others is so much more foundational. The information that we've gotten in the past weeks would be pointless if we don't love others. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 1, If I speak in human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have gifts of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith that I can move mountains but don't have love, I am nothing. If I have everything, if I understand but don't love others, it doesn't matter. So, friends, let, let, the, let love come from the knowledge that you gain from a series like what we've been doing. Let the knowledge and understanding motivate you to care more for others. When you understand some of the truths that we've looked at, it should break your heart to see people not living for truth, not living for Christ, because you know just how damaged of a relationship that is and how painful that life can be. Turning to another verse that I think really encapsulates all of this well, Matthew twenty-two thirty-six 36 through 40. 
many of us have heard this, this before. Many of you maybe had it on a poster somewhere as a kid. Your family might still have these somewhere in their house. Um, it's, it starts in verse 36. Teacher, what command in the law is greatest? And he said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. These verses, I think, really sum all of this up well. It's telling you, love others. Put, put them first. Put God first. Put God at the center. Love others more than you're loving yourself. It's not about you. It's about God. It's not about you love others well. And I, I really want to stress to you guys, though, that this, this is difficult. Putting others at the center is hard. People try and do it because we, we live in a culture that likes to say, oh, it's, we're, we're, we're Christians, so we get these Christian ideas in culture without keeping Jesus at the center. So people might try and live selflessly, but without Christ, they end up finding that it's nearly impossible for a moment, let alone for a life. You can't do it without Christ. And you're, you'll continue to fall short even once you have, and you'll still sin. We all still make mistakes. I know I certainly fail to put others first at all times. But because of Christ, because of of the restored relationship that we have with God because of him, we continue to try. We continue to seek to love God and others the way that Christ sacrificially loved us first. Tim Keller relates all of this, this um, other-centered living to a dance. He says that if, if you're living your life at the center of everything, then everything rotates around you. If you put others at the center, then you rotate around them. Again, this is a word picture to help understand this better. But if we as believers are seeking to love each other sacrificially, to put each other at the center, then it becomes more like a dance with one rotating around the other and vice versa. And he says, this is the way that God is. The Father putting the Son before Himself, the Spirit putting the Son before Himself, the Son putting the Father at the center. This divine dance. And the relationships that we were designed to have follow that model, putting others first, constantly putting God first and foremost at the center of our lives, but also seeking to sacrificially love others as well. Before we finish, I just have a couple uh, thoughts before we go into our time of questions. Because I know it can be very hard to connect with people at times. So if you're sitting in this room and you don't feel connected to this group, you don't feel connected to your friend, to the people around you, I want to apologize for anything that any of the leaders, myself, or anybody in this room has done to cause that. I want to apologize for anybody that's ever claimed to be a Christian that hasn't lived the self-sacrificial love that we see in Scripture. But I also want to ask for your forgiveness in that and that you would forgive any of that and that you would continue to try and seek true community and friendship. That you would seek 
to have these strong, true, sacrificial relationships. I hope that you would accept that we are far from perfect, but that we serve a God who is and is day by day fixing us in, in the relationships that we have with him and with each other. If you've already connected here, then I have some encouragement and a challenge for you. My encouragement is, I'm glad that you're connected. I'm glad that you have friends, and I'm glad that you have those strong relationships, and I pray that you would continue to dive into those, that you would continue to put others before yourself, that you would continue to love others more than you love yourself. My challenge for you is to reach out, though. Reach out to the people around you that might not have those same connections that you do. The people that you might not feel as connected to. Seek to build those relationships. It's only through living sacrificially that we will experience the true love and community that God has for us. The fall damaged our ability to connect. But through Christ our connection with him and others can be restored. Not through anything that we can do, but only through Christ. Go ahead at this time and go break up into your groups for your time of discussion. Thanks, guys.